Amen. Well, stand with me, would you, to read the Word of God, turning to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. And I'm uh, in part two of a series that we'll carry on through next week that I've just called Steady Eddie. (laughs) God wants us to be steady. He wants us to be consistent, not meteors, not fly-by-nights, not easy-come-easy-go, not here today, gone tomorrow, but He wants us to be steady. So today I'm going to talk to you about stability, stability, the ability to stay, to commit. Now, 2 Timothy 4, 3, Paul is talking to his son in the faith, and he says, the time is coming when people will not tolerate or endure sound and wholesome instruction, but having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying, they will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number in order to satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors that they hold. They'll look for teachers that say what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Now, I guarantee you, when you come here, you may not always hear what you want, but you will hear what you need. That I promise. Now, verse 4 says, And they will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fictions. Now, verse 5, as for you, now you're not going to believe this is in the Bible, but this is the amplified version. It says, as for you, be calm, cool, and steady. I like that so much that I want to say it again. Be calm, cool, and steady. Can you say with me, cool? Do you know the Bible told you to be cool? Now, he goes on, accept and suffer unflinchingly every hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fully perform all the duties of your ministry. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell them, be cool. (laughs) Ah, I like that. Now, last week, we talked about holy habits. We call the message holy habits. We talked about how habits begin. Let me just repeat a little bit of it. Where do habits come from? Every habit that you've got today began with a thought. It began with a thought. The thought became an action. Repeated actions became habits. Habits form character. And character decides destiny. Now, I want you to hear this today. I can pretty much tell you where you're going to be five years from now based on three things. What you read, who you run with, and what your habits are. What you read, who you run with, and what your habits are. If I were you, I'd really think about who you run with. By the way, the book that we just finished, it is, it is really doing well. People are coming up to me and saying, this really spoke to me. And I'll tell you why. Because it matters who you run with. And it matters who your habits are. They decide your character. And your character determines your destiny. 
Now I got good news for you today. It takes, according to those who study these things, it takes 21 days to form a habit. 21 days to form a habit. And I believe that God gave us that ability, not for bad habits, but for good ones. It takes 21 days. What do you want in your life? What habits do you desire? If you could just snap your finger and have a habit in your life, what would you choose? Well, you can have it in 21 days. There is another verse where Paul said to Timothy, take the time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. When you're going to get a holy habit built into your life, you've got to take time and trouble. You're going to have to set aside time and you're going to have to make a choice because every habit begins with a thought which turns to an action, which becomes habit, which forms your character, which decides your destiny. Very, very important. Sow a thought, you reap an action. Sow an action, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. A great deal of who you are today is due to whatever habits have dominated your life. What habits have dominated your life? What good ones, what bad ones? They played a key role in who you are sitting there today. And so the good news is you don't have to stay the way you are. We have the power of choice, and we can choose a habit just by repeating an action. You're not going to feel like it when you begin. You didn't feel like smoking when you began. That first drag on a cigarette went down like a brick, and your whole body said, don't do it, but you persevered. And now, what at first you didn't want to do, now you want to do. And that's the way good and bad habits work, both directions. You may not feel like it, you don't have to feel like it, because feelings follow action. I don't wait for feelings to do an action. I wait for my will to decide on a course or a direction. And then I choose it. And I do the action. And feelings follow That's the way habits are formed. Now, I'm bringing this series on Steady Eddie because God desires his children to habitually walk in a lifestyle that brings favor and blessing and victory. Do you believe that? That's the will of God. God wants to chisel into our character this steadiness, Steady Eddie, that I'm talking about, or what we might call stay-ability. The ability to stay in something, to be consistent, to walk in those habits that are good for us consistently. Listen to Paul again. He says, he says, as for you, be calm, cool, and steady in the things of God. It reminds me of the old story of the tortoise and the hare. Remember that as a child, the tortoise and the hare? For those of you who may wonder, a hare is a rabbit. I was wondering about whether to call it a rabbit, and I decided to stay with the story which calls it a hare. But it's a rabbit, the tortoise and the hare. Here's the story. There once was a speedy hare who bragged about how fast he could run. Tired of hearing him boast, slow and steady, the tortoise challenged him to a race. All the animals in the forest gathered to watch. The hare ran down the road for a while, and then paused to rest. He looked back at slow and steady and made fun of him and cried out, how do you expect to win this race when you're walking along at such a slow, slow pace? 
Harris stretched himself out alongside the road and fell asleep, thinking this to himself. There's plenty of time to relax. But slow and steady, walked and walked. I can't help it. I just hear it. Bottom, 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 bottom. He never, ever stopped until he came to the finish line. And the animals who were watching cheered so loudly for tortoise that they woke up Hare. Hare stretched and yawned, stood up, looked at what was happening, and began to run again. But it was too late. Tortoise was over the line. After that, Hare always reminded himself of this truth. Don't brag about your lightning pace, for slow and steady won the race. Now, I got to tell you, I like slow and steady because we're in a marathon, not a hundred-yard dash. I see people get their emotions stirred up. They're consistent for a while, then they drop off. They get stirred up again. They wait for an emotional, an emotional reaction, and then they're there again. And then once the emotions wear down, they're gone again. There again, gone again, here today, gone tomorrow, but not the slow and steady God wants us to be steady in holy habits, steady in the things of God, because it's slow and steady that wins the race. I don't want fireworks. Give me slow and steady. Listen again to Paul talking to Timothy. He says, but you must continue steadily in the things which you have learned and been assured of. What have you learned from God? What have you been assured of? If you read 2 Timothy several times in 2 Timothy, Paul compares. He makes a comparison between two things. The sinful, deteriorating condition of the world compared to the righteous, spiritually healthy walk of the saint. He juxtaposes the two against each other all the time. He says, here's what the world is like and here's what they're going to be like. He said, people in the last days, their character is going to spiral down. They're going to be in a, in a, in, in a character meltdown. But not you, not you. He says, but as for you, you continue steadily. Every time he's going to talk about you and me, he compares the world to us. And then he says, but as for you, it will not be so for you. In chapter 3, verse 13, for instance, he says, evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, not you. That's not what's going to happen with you. Chapter 4, verse 4 says, The world will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will be turned aside to lies. But as for you, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. While your outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Though the world is deteriorating and going down, not the children of God. That is not what should be happening with you. Look at your neighbor and tell him, that must mean you. As for you, you, Timothy, you, church, must continue strong and steady 
in the things you've learned and been convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. We haven't learned what we have learned from the Word of God, from just some man reading the Scriptures. We know ultimately from whom we have learned what we know to be true. We have learned it from the Lord and the Master and the Savior and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We know what we have learned and been assured of and been convinced of, and we know whom they have come from. They have not come from flesh and blood, but they have come from heaven Via the Holy Ghost, Jesus Christ has been our teacher. Amen. Now let me just carry this illustration a little bit further. The the world of sin and darkness is the hair. Dashing past all the warning signs, past all the roadblocks that God puts in their way. Asleep on the wide road that leads to destruction, oblivious to the danger around them. That's the world. But the Christian is the tortoise, and I'll take it any day. Steadily walking, steadily obeying, steadily walking in holy habits that build us up in the faith day by day, down the narrow road that leads to life, steadily living and doing the will of God, and it's the slow and steady pace that wins the race. Steady. Can you say that word with me? Steady. It may look like the hares are having all the fun, but they're really not. It's the Christian that's going to cross the finish line at the end of the day and say with Paul, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give to me on that day. You see, it is not how much money or how many things you die with. It is, did you do the will of God? Did you walk in God's purpose? Did you obey God for your life? Because you're not taking any Anything with you. I say it often. I've never seen a U-Haul at a funeral. They're not there. And you can bury people with things inside that casket, but they don't know it because their spirits are already in eternity. What matters is, did you do the will of God? That is what success is measured by according to the Bible. It is measured by, did you do the will of God? Did you glorify Him? Did you walk in his will? Did you serve him? And if you do that, you will die and hear the words, well done, and, uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. There is a reward coming, everybody, and it's not very far off. Now, the fact is that slow and steady wins the race. And Paul tells Timothy, he, gives, he says, there are three things you ought to have stability in Three things you ought to be stable in. Three things you ought to be steady in. And here's what they are. The word, the watch, and the work. And I'm going to tell you what they mean. The word, the watch, and the work. Can you say it with me? Three W's like www dot. Here's the three W's. Say it with me. The word, the watch, and the work. He told Timothy, these are the three, three things you need to be steady in. Now let's talk about the word first. Practice stability in the Word of God, Paul told Timothy. Listen to his words. But as for you, you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. If you read the Word of God, 
Those scriptures will lead you to salvation in Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to be stable in the Bible. Now, I want to tell you something. If you're a child of God, you ought to have a, an appetite for the Word of God. If you're a child of God, you ought to want to get into that Word. You ought to feel a lack when you're not in that Word. I cannot tell you how many times the Word of God has saved me. How many times the Word of God has reserved me and preserved me and lifted me up. How many times the Word of God has given me hope in a hopeless situation. How many times the Word of God has ministered to me. I can't tell you how many times. If not for the Word of God, I would not be standing in front of you today. Because this is not just any book. This is your sword. This is God's Word. This is His Word of hope and faith to you. And we've got to be in it as children of God all the time. We ought to be steady and stable in the Word of God. We wouldn't dream of leaving on a trip with no gasoline in the car. We, we know enough that if we're about to drive to Houston to fill up the tank with gas, most people try to eat something healthy before they leave for a busy day. Why? Because you know that your body is going to need energy. You want to be good to it. So you feed it what it needs. We understand these things. This is elementary. This is basic. But what God wants us to know is that you as a believer can't survive without the Word of God. How will you ever defeat the devil without the Word of God? How will you resist the temptations banging on your mind without the Word of God? How will you walk in a lighted path without the Word of God? The Bible is like a broken record. When it speaks about itself and it says you ought to read in or read and meditate in God's Word. The Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the whole Bible, every verse has to do with the Word of God. David says, how can a young man cleanse his way? It's impossible by taking heed to your Word. Without the Word of God, a young man, a young woman will never be able to walk a life of purity. In another place, he says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you put that word down in your soul, it stands like a sentinel, like a guard over your heart. And when Satan comes knocking, the word is standing there with sword drawn and the word drives the enemy away from you. You will not be able to defeat him without the word. David said, direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. What is the protection against being dominated by a sin. It's the Word. He says, Lord, direct my steps. Guide my life. I don't know where to go, where to turn, how to act, what to think. In this situation, give me your Word. And the Word brings light. The entrance of thy Word brings light. And it gives understanding to the simple. The Bible says of itself, it washes our brains and waters our faith. I'm glad to tell you today that I'm brainwashed. I try to stay brainwashed in the best possible sense of the word because every time I open up this Bible, it washes my brain. Kathy and I were uh, standing in our, our future building this week and it was hot and it had rained and it was steamy in there. And, and when we left, we just felt dirty. You know why? Because we were. You know why? Because we live in a dirty world. And not only is it dirty physically, but the airwaves are full of dirt. The moral climate is full of dirt. And the only way to defeat it 
is to walk in the Word of God. And when you open up this Bible, it washes your brain. Next time somebody asks you what you're doing when you're reading your Bible, tell them, I'm taking a bath. (laughs) Because the Word of God is God's detergent. It is the means by which He washes our mind. It clears out the old, dirty thoughts and puts in the clean, pure thoughts of God. This book is full of God's thoughts. And that's how you renew your mind. Be ye not conformed to this world, but be transformed and changed by the renovation, the renewing of your mind. And how do you renew your mind? By every day getting into the Word of God. Stability in the Word of God. And the Bible says it washes our brains and waters our faith. Listen to what it says about Jesus in the book of Ephesians. That Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. The Lord washes us as if with water through the Word. And the Word not only washes our minds, but it also waters our faith. I can't tell you how important it is that we walk building up our faith. What is this that has overcome the world? John asked, and then he answered, even our faith. Our faith is what overcomes the world. And so it's like something in you that you've got to keep strong. And how is faith made strong? By the Word of God. It says in Romans 10, 17. Everybody ought to know that verse. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes. Faith is built. Faith is strengthened. From hearing, hearing the Word. Right now, when I'm quoting this Bible to you, whether or not you're aware of it, I'm strengthening your faith. I didn't come today to tell you my thoughts or my ideas about anything. I came to build your faith. Jude said, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. He didn't say tearing yourselves down in your most holy faith. He said, do those things that build you up in your most holy faith. And what builds you up? It is when you read and digest and meditate in and mull over the Word of God. You ought not ever open it, but you've got a pen in your hand. And you're going to write down. Anytime a verse jumps out at you, date it. And say, here's what it said to me. Think about it. Later in the day, bring it up into your mind and mull over what you read that morning. But we've got to be stable in the Word of God because every time I read the Word of God, it's like I've grabbed some spiritual barbells and here's what I'm doing. And my faith gets strong. So I don't have very strong faith, Pastor Jeff. You know whose fault that is? It's yours. It's not mine. Well, you're supposed to preach to me every week. I preach to you one day a week. You've got six others. Go get your own bread. There's a great picture of this in the Old Testament. When the children of Israel first saw the manna when they had crossed over the sea and they were in the wilderness, they began to gripe and complain to Moses about having no food and no water. Moses went to God and God said, I'm going to send them bread. Tell them they're going to gather it in the mornings. And so the very next morning they went out and here was stuff on the ground they'd never seen before. It looked like dew. As a matter of fact, when the dew on the ground burned off, there was something there. And they looked at it, and Moses said, that's your food. And they said, what is it? And that's why it's called manna. Manna in Hebrew means, what is it? And when they asked what it was, Moses replied, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. They'd never seen it. They'd never known it. 
They had to learn. Hear this. They had to learn to eat it. They had to learn to eat it. They'd never seen it. They'd never known it. They had no file they could go to and access information on it. It had never been on earth before. What is it? It's what the Lord has given you to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but I knew nothing about the Word of God until I was saved. I knew nothing about the Scriptures until I was born again. And once I got saved, I discovered that God had said the same thing to me in the New Testament about His Word that He said to the children of Israel in the Old Testament about manna. I learned and discovered as I began to read these Scriptures that this is the bread which the Lord has given me to eat. Didn't the captain of our salvation say, you will not live by bread alone, but you will live. You will get your sustenance. You will be strengthened and buoyed up by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what the captain of our salvation said. And that's how he defeated the devil. So we've got the word of God and what Moses told the children of Israel in the Old Testament, this is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Jesus says to us in the New Testament, I am the bread of life. The word in your hand is what I have given you to eat. I noticed that Moses said, you're going to have to get out there and gather it every morning. And if you gather it on Tuesday and you try to save some for Wednesday, Tuesday's bread is going to rot. You're going to need fresh bread, fresh manna every day. And if you don't go gather it, you're not going to have any. And he said, on Saturday, gather twice as much. And that's the only night God won't let it rot. It'll last till the next morning because God wants you going to church on Sunday morning. Let Pastor Jeff give you man on Sunday morning. <laughs> but I want you to see the pattern here. He said, you get out there and you gather it every day. If you think yesterday's bread is going to carry you over till today, you're wrong. You need to get fresh manna every day. This is the bread the Lord your God has given you to eat. Can you hold your Bibles up? Can you hold your Bibles up? All right, that's your sword and that's your manna. Every morning you go get your own manna. You gather it from the fields of faith. You gather it from the fields of God's Word and let it feed you. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise? God says, eat it and live. Practice stability with the word. Now, the second thing is the watch. As for you, he says to Timothy, be watchful in all things. Can you say the word watch with me? Watch. What does that mean when it says watch? Because God's given us a word and he's given us a watch. It means to be alert, to be self-controlled, to be clear-headed, clear. You're watching. The same word was used when the Roman soldiers were placed at Jesus' tomb. And they were told, you have a watch. Go and make it as certain as you can. So they were posted to the tomb, their eyes wide open, looking for anybody to come along who might try to steal away the body of Jesus. And they were watching. Their eyes were peeled. That's the idea with watch. In the Old Testament, the word watch meant to guard, to beware, to protect in the Old Testament, there were watchmen over the king's house. And there were watchmen posted on the city walls. And their eyes were peeled. They were watching. Watching the horizon for an enemy approaching the city. There was the beginning watch, the midnight watch, and the morning watch. That's why David said, my soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. 
watching. Now here's what Paul was saying. Be a watchman over your soul and over the souls of others. Stay alert. Keep your eyes open. Why? Because Peter said the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know what the devil loves to find? A sleeping saint. Because if he he can find a sleeping saint, then he's able to come at you, broadside you, find an advantage over you when you're not watching. And so every day when you open up the Bible and you pray, you're watching. And God says, I'll give you discernment. I'll open your eyes. I'll help you to spot the enemy when he's trying to get into your life. We are to watch. And we are not just to watch for the enemy to come against our own soul or the souls of others. But Jesus said, we are to watch and pray, for we know not when the end is going to come. I found, studying about this, that Jesus often told his people to watch and pray, pray and watch, watch and pray, pray and watch, be alert. Watch, therefore, said Jesus, stay alert and clear-headed. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening watch, at midnight, or in the morning watch. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Watch. When I finished studying yesterday, I turned on the TV, flipped on the news, and here again, we have an attack. In Glasgow, two terrorists slamming a bomb car into the airport, ready and willing to die for madness. And I saw how the Middle Eastern problem has become the sore thumb of the whole world, just like the prophet said it would. Zechariah prophesied that in the last days, Israel would become a sore spot for the whole world. And we used to wonder, how can that be? How will that ever happen? But now it's happened. And Jerusalem is encompassed with enemies, just like the Bible said they would be. If you want to know what's happening, if you want to know what to be watching for, watch the Middle East. Jesus said, Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by enemies, and the day will come when they launch an attack against her. And God will protect her. Jesus said, when you see all these things coming to pass, lift up your heads. Your redemption draws near." He said, you know how to tell wintertime is coming or summertime is coming, but you don't know how to read the prophetic signs of the times. He said, watch and pray, for when you see these things happening, know that I am near even at the door. I'm near at the door. So watch. We have a word. We have a watch. And the last thing we have is we have a work. Do the work of an evangelist, he told Timothy. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, I'm not called to be a Billy Graham, or I'm not called to be an evangelist like young Timothy was. But here's what you are called to. If you're a believer, you're called to the work of the Lord. Do the work. Do the work of the Lord. We have a word, we have a watch, and we have a work. Listen to what he said. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Is he saying that to the preachers? No, he's saying that to the laity. You, always abounding, overflowing in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then one chapter later, he focuses in on one family 
the household of Stephanus, who were the first converts of Paul in a particular location, and he says this about them. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They have addicted themselves. Now, I used to read that, and I used to think, man, you mean they were like hooked like they needed a fix, like they had a craving to do the work of the Lord? What does he mean addicted? And then I found out that addicted does not mean what we associate it with in our day. His meaning was really important. He said, addicted means to place oneself in a fixed spot or location, to station yourself in a certain area. When somebody is sent by the military to Iraq, they are stationed somewhere. That's what addicted means. It means they had stationed themselves in the position of ministering to the saints. There's a great illustration of this that I want to close with. In the Old Testament, David had three mighty men amongst many mighty men. He had three top mighty men. They were his A-list, his top guns, his can-do elite guard. Their names were Adeno, Eleazar, and Shammah. Now, one day we're told that the Philistines gathered together on what was called a field of lentils. And what that means is a bean field. Can you think of anything more unromantic, more or less impressive than a bean field? They stationed themselves, the Philistine army, on a bean field. But here's the catch. It was David's bean field. It was the king's field. And that gave it value. And it says that when they stationed themselves there, that all of the children of Israel ran and fled and basically said to themselves, my life is not worth this bean field. It's not worth it for me to mess with this bean field. All of them ran except one, Shammah. Shammah did not run. It says in the Bible, but Shammah stationed himself in the middle of the field. Can you imagine that? One man against an entire army of the Philistines. He said, this field is my king's field. This is not my field, it's the king's field. And because it's the king's field, it's got value to me. I don't care if it's a bean field. I don't care if I'm cleaning bathrooms. I don't care if I'm serving God where nobody can tell, where there are no accolades, where there's no praise, where nobody sees me, there's no pay. I don't care what it is. It's his bean field. I want you to hear me on this today, folks, because, listen, when God gives you something to do, it's always got value because it's his field. It's always got value. And it says he stationed himself. He took his sword in his hand, and an entire Philistine army came against him, and he single-handedly began to swing that sword in the name of God. And Shammah, the mighty man, brought down an entire army of Philistines single-handedly by himself to the glory of the Lord. And it says in the Bible, so the Lord wrought a great victory. Can I tell you something here today? There are times when you've got to just station yourself. I've seen God move in my life more times than not when I had to station myself in the midst of warfare. 
I got to tell you, church, I've stood there at times when every physical signal said, it's time to boogie. It's time to call it a day. But Shammah did not hold up the white flag. He did not give up. He did not give in. He said, this is my king's mean field. I'm going to fight this battle for the glory and the honor of David. I'm not leaving. I'm not backing down. And there are times you've got to station yourself when all hell is coming against you, when it looks like it's not worth it, when nobody is saying thank you, nobody is praising you, nobody is noticing you. I'm talking about when you're standing your ground for that spouse of yours to be saved or that child of yours to come to Jesus or God has told you to stay someplace and right now you're not seeing many results or any results at all but you have stationed yourself because he said do it and so there you stand and you hear the words of Paul saying having done all stand you hear the words of David stand still and see the salvation of the Lord he will bring to you today for you will see the glory of God you hear the words of Jesus who said, did I not say to you that if you would stand and believe, you would see the glory of God? Sometimes you just got to station yourself and be spiritually stubborn and say, this is my bean field. I don't care what you say or anybody else thinks. I'm going to see this thing through to the glory of God. Right now, this is my bean field. I'm planted here. We're moving on. We're going to move on and see God move in this city. Uh, Y'all look better than a normal bean field, I can tell you that. But there have been times it didn't look like we could stand any longer and we stood. And now God has parted the waters. Now we're moving forward. And I'm here to encourage you, whatever it is God's got you stationed in, you be strong and don't give up, back down, don't give the devil one inch. You stand there with the spirit of Shammah, which was the spirit of Jesus Christ, until you say it is finished and the work is done. So can you say with me, I've got the word, the watch, and the work. Let's stand together, can we? Steady Eddie. Sometimes when the battle gets the worst, it's because you're about to have a breakthrough. I was telling the first service, I've known so many bean fields and so many times I had to station myself. But if you're going to overcome a habit, you've got to station yourself. If you're going to see victory, sometimes you just have to stand there and station yourself. The first Bible study I ever did, I got invited to minister at a, at a place that was called the House of Faith. And the founder of the House of Faith had heard that I taught the Word of God. I had just started. I had a lot of zeal, not a lot of wisdom. I was very green. But they asked me to teach it. And I said, oh, sure. I thought it was a tremendous open door. You talk about a bean field. Because what you had was about nine she-devils. And what do you mean? Well, there was unwed mothers and, and uh, girls that had been in trouble who didn't want to be there, had no heart for God, but they had to come to my Bible. So you ever taught a Bible study where people had to come? You know what I'm talking about. They wouldn't be there if they hadn't had to come. And first time I went there, I brought my guitar and I knew three songs, God is so good, he is Lord and Kumbaya. That's all I knew. C, G, and F. That's it. <laughs> 
And I walked in, and here's what they said. How long is this going to take? I don't know. You know, long enough, I guess. Well, hurry up. There's something we want to watch. Before I knew it, I'm getting out of my guitar. God is, had better be so good. <laughs> Nobody sang with me. I just basically, I felt like I was teaching the wall. And it only got worse. One time I went to leave, went out to my car, and I saw a hose going in through the window. And I was never more glad for the kind of car I had back then. Because it wasn't worth $500 soaking wet. But I opened up the door and water poured out. And they were all in the door laughing. And I said, Lord, I'm beginning to doubt this call. He said, station yourself. So I go in week after week. After a while, they began to like the messages. A few years later, I started getting letters from a lot of them because they came and went. There was a high turnover saying, you know, I met Jesus because of those Bible studies. I met the Lord because of those messages. Thank you. So I found that you station yourself no matter what you see out here. God is working. Father, we thank you for the word, and we thank you for the watch, and we thank you for the work. Help us to be steady in the things of God. In Jesus' name. Now, wherever it is.